listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Today we have more on multifamily with the managing partner of PassiveInvesting.com, Dan Hanford. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sterling. Looking forward to providing some value to you and your audience here. Awesome. So the first question we typically ask on our program is, why should we listen to you? So that just kind of gives you a chance to give a little snapshot of what you've accomplished in the real estate investing world. So Sure. I would actually take it a little bit farther than that because I think a lot of people think that you should only look at somebody's real estate experience. But a lot of times for me, like even my own passive investments, I look for operators that have some form of background and success in business, especially in the larger apartment syndication space where you're buying these larger, you know, 10, 20, $30 million properties and you're syndicating it and having multiple investors in them. You know, I'm always looking for the person and the operator that has that background and success in business because at the end of the day, we're buying businesses that just so happen to have an asset associated with it, which is really nice. But because of the, the level of staff that you have on those properties, you still have to know how to manage people. You have to know how to put in systems and procedures and processes in place and make sure that you're putting certain KPIs and those, those key performance indicators to, to make sure that you can pivot and change whenever necessary. And so my kind of background in business from, I have a group of medical clinics here in South Carolina. I have about 50 employees. I have a good uh, corporate team that runs all that. I mean, we meet once a month, but um, my background with that and kind of building those up from scratch to, be able to get them to the point where they are today. And then also my background in another company that I have, which is an online company where we actually sell anatomical products. So it's a company called shopanatomical.com and we sell skeletons, skulls, brains, hearts, all types of plastic anatomy models. And that again is, is an, another system that I've put into place. And so from my background in business and success that I think leads into the real estate success that we've had, which is in the last two years, this is now January, 2020, our group has acquired over 220 million in acquisitions. And one of our largest, most recent acquisitions was in October, 2019, which was a large $51.5 million property in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we successfully closed that one early. They actually closed it in 50 days. So we had a 21 day due diligence period, 30 days to close. We had 50 51 days, we ended up closing it a day early. Awesome. And, and I love hearing what you said about, you know, about your previous business experience. And I, and I definitely do that all the time because I've had a, a good bit of success in, in corporate America. And I, I leverage that experience. And I think it makes investors much more comfortable working with me, seeing that I have that track record in, in other areas. So definitely agree with you 100% there. Can you break that you said you had a 220 million in acquisitions can you kind of break that down for our listeners to kind of explain a little bit what that looks like what that looks like for you personally or or your general partnership side and then maybe what that looks like for your investors Sure, sure. So, you know, all, all of our projects are, are fairly similar as far as how they're structured, as far as splits with investors and different fees and structures and things like that. So I can explain it pretty easily. Across the board, our, our projects are either going to be a anywhere between a 7 to 8% preferred return, which I always suggest making sure you go into projects that do have those preferred returns to protect yourself as an investor. And then also making sure that you have a nice split. So I always look for deals that have a 70-30 split. So 70% 
30% is going to be going in and allocated for the limited partners, those investors, and then 30% for the sponsorship team. I feel like when you have to go lower than that, like if you have to do a deal that's like 80-20, you're giving more to the investors and not up to the operator team, then you're actually, you know, having the deal is just so tight that you have to give more to the investors to actually make the numbers work. And so for us in our group, we actually look for those return metrics that are going to be, you know, in line with what our investors are looking for. And so from an IRR perspective on a five-year hold, that internal rate of return, we're looking for about a 15 to 17% IRR. And then for those of you who might not be as familiar with IRR, from an annualized return standpoint, it's usually anywhere between an 18 to 20% annualized return as well. Awesome. So basically doubling your money over a five-year period. Correct. Is awesome. Yep. And that's a, that's a pretty popular target that I think most people are comfortable with. It's becoming harder and harder though, because of how strong and tight the market is right now. But yes, it's a definitely a target that we always are trying to look for. Yeah. It's a gold rush for sure. Yes, so, it is. So let's take it back a little bit. How did you get started? How did you get interested in real estate investing? Maybe tell us about, you know, your first deal or why you decided to pursue real estate and then maybe your first deal or how you got going. Sure. So I'm a big believer in taking full advantage of the tax code, right? And so for me, you know, when I started to build out these different businesses that I had before I got into real estate, I started to see that I was working all year long and writing a large check to the government for almost half of what I would earn. And it was kind of like that punch in the gut feeling, you know? And for me, I just decided that I needed to do something different to be able to change my taxable structure. And so being able to invest in real estate and specifically multifamily, which I feel has a, a very good ability for having what is called a recession proof or recession resistant type of an asset. And so being able to invest in that, but still be able to do cost segregation studies to be able to accelerate the depreciation on these assets allows us to be able to take a lot of tax benefits as well. So, you know, I'm now paying no federal income tax because of the depreciation on these assets, which helps to offset my income. And it helps. That's, that's the main reason why I got into it was to really help offset my taxes. And so for me, when I look at an, at an LP investment, because I do LP investing as well, I have, I'm currently right now in 19 different syndications across eight different operators. And those passive investments, I'm looking for the depreciation on those things to be able to increase that taxable or to decrease that taxable liability. And so I want to see that ability to, be able to get those K1s at the end of the year so I can cash flow off those investments and then get a paper loss at the end of the year due to those depreciations, which allows me to be able to offset the other income. So can you clear up something for me? It is recaptured at that point, but if you do it the right way and you set it up from the very beginning, you can actually 1031 exchange that into another property, which allows you to continue to snowball and increase that. So you can, you're just continuing to defer the capital gains. And what's really nice about that is that if you actually are part of a group that actually continues to defer the capital gains like that year over year or, or after every time you sell that property and you're moving into the next property, then you can continue to 1031 until you die. And when you die and it passes over to your children, then the basis in that property resets to the current value of the time when you die. And so you don't have any capital gains recapture at all. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with the 1031 process that, that we do on a much smaller scale, you know, with the residential type properties. I just didn't know how that translated to a syndication because there's so it many. It works the same way. Same way. It works the same way. 
on the general partner side or on, on both sides? So the, the limited partner, are they being able to take advantage of that as well? Absolutely. The biggest benefit is on the limited partner side because they're actually are putting money in, taking depreciation, offsetting their, offsetting their taxes. But wherever you offset your taxes, whether you're on the GP or the LP side, you're going to get recaptured if you just take the proceeds when you sell. But if you sell that asset and then move it from a 1031 into the next deal, and then you just continue to do that, it increases your investment amount in each deal. So your returns are actually getting better as you move into each one of those projects as well. Okay, great. Did not realize that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you clarified. So, so can, you, can you go into your first deal for us? Sure, sure. So a couple of my, my first deals, I'd say my first probably two or three deals, I actually did a co-GP with some other operators to actually help build my credibility with investors, but also to build my credibility with, the, with, with sellers of properties as well as brokers. And so the first one that I did on my own, and I say my own, so our group PassiveInvesting.com actually has three managing partners. It's myself, Danny Randazzo, and Brandon Abbott. And so I'm not going to go into a lot of our backgrounds. I know it's kind of a short podcast, but I'm going to go into a lot of those details and I can go on for quite some time about our backgrounds. But for those of you who are interested, you can just go to our website, PassiveInvesting.com and, and look up our bios there. Each one of us has a video that we talk about our backgrounds and stuff. But our very first deal that we did together was a deal in Greenville, South Carolina. And it was a $8.9 million acquisition with about $2 million in capital expenditures. And that project, we originally lost it. So in the very beginning, we put an offer on the project. We thought we were going to get it. We were best and final, top two. And then they awarded it to the other group because of them be having a higher purchase price. And so, and also some higher earnest money deposit that was non-refundable day one. And so we came in and said, well, we can't get up to that number. It just doesn't make sense for us. And so we passed on it. Well, almost four weeks later to the day, they, the broker called us and said that original buyer never got to the point of signing the PSA because the, the buyer and the seller couldn't agree on terms once they got to that phase. And so they came back to us and said, would you accept it at your original offer? And we decided to accept it at that original offer because it, the number still worked and uh, decided to go ahead and take it. And then 60 days later, we closed the deal up. Awesome. Awesome. So the next question we usually have is, is how did you scale? And, and I imagine you just repeated the process over and over kind of what was next. Yeah. So, you know, I would say though, the biggest thing that will hold you back from scaling in this type of a business is the fact that you always need investors. You always need new investors because deal flow is one thing, but if you have deal flow with no investors, you can't ever buy those deals. And so you have to constantly be having this battle of, should I be looking for deals? Should I be looking for investors? You know, what, what's the next step? And really you have to do both. And that's why we have three managing partners because my strengths and my background is from the marketing perspective and investor relations. And then also from an overall operational, you know, strategy and strategic objectives. And then we have Brandon Abbott on our team who focuses on acquisitions and construction. He's our construction management, you know, arm as well. So he can go in and make sure that the property management companies are doing the proper bids and renovations and they're staying on budget for when we're in a property. He also helps from a CapEx standpoint on the pro formas to make sure we can actually estimate what's going to cost, what to renovate those. And then Danny on our team is from the underwriting perspective. So he does, he underwrites all of our projects. He does all of the financial due diligence. He also works from the closing side and helps to work with the attorneys and the lenders and the legal side and everything like that. And then post-closing, he also does the asset management for us as well. 
And so I think to be able to scale, you have to have a team built out in place so that you can make sure that you have these different pillars that really need to be stabilized at the core team. And now moving into 2020, we're starting to build out our team even more. We just hired a full-time director of marketing and public relations. We have a full-time investor relations person who's also one of my assistants. And I also have another person that we're getting ready to hire as well from the asset management side. It's a full-time asset manager and an analyst that'll continue to allow us to scale. But it all goes, still goes back to, you can do all of this stuff, but if you don't find new investors, then you can get stuck. And so for us, one of the things that we've done is, is that we've built out an authority platform that we call the Multifamily Investor Nation. And we don't have that platform to do any type of paid coaching or mentoring or anything like that. We, just, we don't do that. The main reason why is because for me, I'm the one that kind of runs that piece of the business and I don't have the time and, and we don't need the money to do it either. And so we choose not to do it. But we still provide a lot of free education. We do weekly webinars. We have sure. over 50 meetup groups that meet across the country and in Canada every single month. And so we have a good team of people that are, that are running that. And then we also have our YouTube channel and we have our multifamily investor nation podcast. And there's a lot of different things that are moving in pieces of parts. And that's why like even just right now, I was looking at our stats and in the last 30 days, we, we had 93 new investors come into our portal that, you know, want to be able to invest with us. And it's, it didn't just come overnight. When we first started doing this, we would only get, sure. you know, three or four or five, but because it's all been building up and it's been so long that everything is starting to work together. And I'm a big believer in a multimodal approach for marketing and attraction people to your business, whether it be multifamily apartment syndication or whether it be, you know, a, a pizza place, you know, you got to be able to do the proper marketing, which is a multimodal approach to be able to attract new people into it. Absolutely. And you do a great job with that. I'm a, I'm a member of the platform and I've attended plenty of your free webinars and, and I appreciate you not trying to make me pay for it. I think it's great. Now, are y'all offering, is it a C or, or, what is the, the difference between the one you can advertise and the one you can't advertise? 506B versus C? Yeah. So we've done one 506C and we have chosen so far to do all the rest of them as 506B as in Bravo. So, and for the listeners that just kind of understand the differences is that on a 506B as in Bravo, you have to have a prior existing relationship with that investor before they can invest with you. And you cannot advertise the deal. Those are the two main things. There's a couple of the nuances, but those you can, a, you can advertise yourself as an investor. Correct but not the specific deal. And this is deal specific. So you get, once you have a deal, you cannot announce and say to the world on social media and on a public email list or whatever that you have a deal. You have to leave that exclusively to people that you have that prior existing relationship with. So when I have this multifamily investor nation group that I have, I have a separate completely separate software and email list for my investors than I do for my multifamily investor nation group. So I can make sure I keep those completely separate. And then on the 506C side, that's the 506 Charlie. The thing that allows you to do there is it allows you to advertise at that point, at any point, you know, whatever you want to do, you can advertise. But the nuance there is that you can only accept accredited investors and they have to go through a third party accreditation process in order to verify their accreditation status. And so that's really the kind of the big distinction where on a 5 506B, we're able to accept non-accredited investors, but we can only accept 35 in that 506B investment as well. And can't the accredited investors on that side like self-proclaim their accredited investors That's without being That's verified correct. on a third party? That is correct. 
So the next part of our show that we, we normally do is, is highlights and lowlights. We typically just ask for you to share the details of your, your biggest and most successful home run. And then because we're not, you know, we're not all about the hype and selling the sunshine and rainbows, maybe something that didn't go quite as well. Maybe something that, that you know, you, you stumbled on a little bit. Sure, sure. So which one you want me to go first, the high or the low? Let's start with the highlight. All right. Well, so far, we have never not been able to hit the preferred return projections that we give for our investors and make those distributions. Because what we do differently with our group is that we only buy stabilized assets. We're looking for higher end B plus and A class properties to be able to acquire. And we don't want unstabilized. So what that means is, is below 90% occupancy. We want to see at least 90% occupancy. And so the lowest we've actually acquired is a 93% occupied property. And so we also need that in order to make Make those distributions. So it's a little bit of a different play for us, but we make those distributions immediately once we're in the project. And what I mean by immediately is it's not like the day we close, you're getting a check, but we always do it in arrears. So we wait till we're in a full, we're into that project for a full month and then we start distributions right away. So the Raleigh project that I talked about earlier, which was a large $51.5 million deal that we closed in October, 2019, it was October 24th. We waited until we were an entire full month of November into that project. And in December, we made our first distribution. And this today right now is January, 2020. We are, we are making our second distribution today. And so we do those distributions based on the preferred return. And we have never not been able to hit those preferred returns in all of our projects. And there was actually three projects that we're looking to exit them already in the first half of 2020. And they will all have outperformed their original projections as well. Awesome. So what about one you stubbed your toe on? Sure, sure. So, so far, thankfully, we haven't been in a deal where we've like lost any money or where we've really kind of, I would say it would be like you said, a stubbing of a toe or like, oh, we, that kind of, you know, slowed things down a bit because of our group and how we monitor things on a regular basis. Then it allowed us to be able to pivot and watch those KPIs to see if we're hitting certain targets and we can pivot so we can maybe modify things. So what I'm getting at is, is we had a property that the original projections were to increase the rents by, let's just say $250. I don't know the exact number. It was like $250 after we spent $13,000 on renovations. This is already a nice B-class property. Mm-hmm. It's probably more like a B-minus and we're bringing it to a B-plus, but spending $13,000 on the interiors. Granite countertops, new cabinets, stainless steel appliances, taking out a wall in the kitchen to open it up and have an open floor plan and new flooring, new paint, new light fixtures, new plumbing fixtures. I mean, everything. It was just like, it was just gorgeous, right? And when we got two of them done, we put them on the market. We could not achieve the rents that we originally projected, but we only renovated two. And so when we couldn't get those rents, we, we stopped, we pulled back and we said, wait a minute, we're not getting the renovations that we projected. So we need to scale back the renovations because sure. the ones that we weren't renovating, we're still getting a premium on, but we, we weren't even renovating them. You can over improve the neighborhood. Yes, you can. So you can spend that 13000 but you might not get the rent that you're looking for. Right. And so what we did was is we pivoted very quickly. We said, wait a minute, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's scale back the renovations. We were able to scale back the renovations to like eight dollars or $9,000, but still be able to achieve a $150 rent bump. So we were able to still balance out the renovations to still be able to give the returns to the investors that we had originally projected. Great flexibility there. Yep. So what advice do you have for anybody who's looking to get started? You talk to different people. Some of them will say, oh, start with something small and work your way up. It sounds like you didn't do that at all. You just dove headfirst into large multifamily. Anybody who's thinking about 
getting started in real estate investing. Maybe they're stuck in their W two job and they're looking to you know dip their toe in, or maybe they're you know a full time investor that that deals primarily with single family houses and duplexes, and they're looking to make that jump to multifamily. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for them? Sure. Well, I don't think there's any one piece of advice that I can give to all of them across the board, except for hire a mentor. That's one of the things that will help reduce your learning curve. But one that I will talk about is the W-2 job because I didn't come from a W-2 job. I came from a business that I owned and I was able to step away from that by putting proper people in place to be able to run those. But the biggest thing that I would say from a W-2 person's perspective is that I want to see, like for me as an LP, a limited investor, I want to see that the operator is full-time in the business. So if somebody's trying to hold down a corporate job as well as trying to run a syndication company as the main operator, I don't invest in that. I want to see them being full on all skin in the game. And so for people that I've talked to that are that have a W2, you can still get started in the business, but you can get started on a smaller scale where you're not the main operator. There's a lot of different pieces and moving parts to this. I know a lot of people think that apartment syndication is easy. It is far from easy. There are so many different pieces and moving parts to it. And you want to make sure that you have them in place. And just one of these little pieces that are missing cause the deal to go south. And so for me, what I would suggest that you do is that you go and find, and you got you to find other operators that you know, like, and trust, and then join their team first so that they can do all the heavy lifting and you can help them with some of the other smaller tasks, but still be part of their team. And it allows you to be able to keep and maintain your W-2 job until you have enough you know, either saved up for reserves or you have enough coming in from the GP side of your deals that you're in so that you can actually step away from that. And I've seen multiple people do that and do it very successfully where they still have this really solid, good, high paying, you know, six figure salary from a W-2 job. And they don't really want to give that up, even though they still want to leave their job, but they're trying to have the best of both worlds. It just, it's just a very hard thing to happen. And I've, I know people who have been in deals where that has been the case, where the main operator was basically treating it as more of a hobby because they were doing it in the nights and weekends instead of as a full-time gig and the deal did not go well. It's not the case all of the time, but I think the best way to transition from a W-2 job is to help from that co-GP standpoint where you know you can, you can help bring some money to the project and bring some investors to the project and then also help from doing some on-site stuff and things like that. But that's the stuff that you can do in nights and weekends. You don't have to be full-time in it, but then those investors are still, it helps you as well because as a W-2 person, you're able to go in and help join these co-GPs and build up your own credibility. So now when you're ready to leave the W-2, you now have three or four or five properties under your belt. And now when you go to talk to sellers and brokers, you have this portfolio already built up and it helps to be able to sell yourself. Awesome. Great advice. So what's next for you? So moving into 2020, we've kind of reset some of our criteria. So our minimum acquisition right now is 20 million. And as we move forward into 2020, one of the things we've been hearing a lot from our investors is trying to diversify the portfolio in some of the higher class properties. And so we've been in 2019 in the B plus assets and A class areas. And in 2020, we're going to continue to look for that. But we're also going to be continuing to look for or starting to look for more of the A class properties, not the new supply that's coming online today, but the ones that came online like five to 10 years ago, that still has a very little deferred maintenance that we can hold for longer than five years. So instead of a typical three to five year play, it's gonna be more of like a six to 10 year play where the, the cash on cash might be lower. So you might only get like a five or 6% preferred return, but on the exit, you'll still have to be able to capitalize on those, those higher gains because of the low cap rates that they're in. Awesome. Do you feel like A properties are as recession resistant as maybe the B's or C's? 
I think that the C-class properties are more recession, they're more risky to be in right now inside of a, of a potential recession. And, and here's the reason why, because the consensus has always been for, for many years is that, oh, don't go into A-class because A-class properties, you know, whenever there's an economy shift, they basically just go way down, everybody goes to Bs, and then all the Bs go to Cs. Sure. If you look at the data, which we actually have a, a subscription to a software called CoStar. So it's, a, it's an analytic software that allows you to have historical data all the way back to the year to the, until the early 2000s. And so we actually look at the, that data. And what you'll see is when you look at that data, that data across the board from A's, B's, and C's didn't have that much more than about a 30, 40, 50 basis points drop in occupancy across all asset classes in multifamily. But if you look at C-class, what you did have a drop in is the economic occupancy. So there's two different occupancies that are really important to look at. There's physical, which is how many people are actually occupying those units. But then economic is, it's great you have people in them, but are they they paying? paying? (laughs) Are they paying? That's the important piece. And so in a downturn or a recession, what happens is the C-class properties and the lower end Bs are the ones that have employees in there that get cut out to be able to reduce the expenses for businesses. So they lose their jobs. And what happens is, is the C-class properties start to have higher expenses because now you've got to evict those people, you have higher turnover, you have legal fees. And so your economic occupancy goes way down and your expenses go up. So for me, I don't invest in C-class properties. I want to see those B-class properties, especially the B-plus right now with the current market conditions. And then as we move into 2020, because even right now, if you look across the board, as far as cap rates are concerned and what people are paying for properties, there's again, not that much of a difference in spread between the cap rates of a B-class property and A-class property and even a C-class property right now. So for right now, in the current state of the market, the A's, the higher end B's and the A-class properties are the better properties to be in right now. Good to know. So next we have up our radio round where we just ask three quick questions, you know, to help our, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first one is what's your favorite book? It's my favorite book. So my favorite book, as far as business is concerned, and, and I would guess I would say real estate, but it's really more of a business book, is The 10X Rule by, by Grant Cardone. Oh, so okay. there's a lot of things that I like about Grant, a lot of things I don't like about. <laughs> yeah. He's usually kind of one of those types of people, either, somebody either hates him or loves him, you know? I'm actually somewhere in the middle there. So I like a lot of the things that he says. I really like that book, and I'd encourage anybody that, especially right now in the beginning of 2020, you know, as people are looking to do things, you know, greater and bigger, that book was a, was a game changer for me because the whole premise and concept of that that book was to be able to scale and think bigger. And the more you can think bigger, it allows you to, be able to ask questions that you can now answer to be able to get to that level. But if you never think bigger, then you can never get to the level of asking those questions so you can get to that level. Awesome. So what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, my favorite quote. So my favorite quote is, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And that's very important in all types of business because if you can't measure something, you can never know if it's doing well or not and know if whether or not you have to pivot or change. So that's why I kind of harp on those KPIs, those key performance indicators, to, be able to make sure that those stats are in place and you're looking at them on a regular basis as well, which is another reason why we do monthly distributions. And I invest in monthly distribution operators is because the operators that do things on a quarterly or a bi-yearly basis where you're only getting paid you know, four or four times a year or sometimes twice a year, or sometimes you don't get paid for the first year or two, what happens is, is those numbers aren't watched on a regular basis. And so for me, I want to make sure my investment is being watched on a regular basis. So if I'm getting monthly distributions, that means that operator has to watch those numbers a lot closer every single month because they have to make that decision every single month. Do we have enough money to be able to make those distributions? That's awesome. I'm going to write that down and I'm going to steal it. Do, we, do you know where it came from? 
I do not. I do not. I've just used it for many, many years. And I tell my team all of that all the time that if we can't measure something, we can't manage it. So if we want to try to manage something, we need to be able to have some, some, some data and statistics to be able to monitor that, but to see when, when and if we need to pivot and modify things. Awesome. So tell our listeners where they can find you. Sure. So you can obviously go to our website, passiveinvesting.com. If you're interested in investing with us, you can go there, fill out the form. If you want to follow us on our, on our other channel, you can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com. We can sign up for our weekly email list where we send out emails about our weekly webinars all about multifamily. And, uh, and so you know, I go to a lot of networking events as well. So if I'm there and you see me, come up and introduce uh, yourself. I'd love to be able to meet you. I'll see you at, at Joe's uh, Best Ever Conference in February. Looking forward to it. That's awesome. Looking forward to that as well. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I learned a ton. I know our listeners are going to, and we'll have to have you on again sometime. All right. Sounds great. I appreciate it, Sterling. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.